from the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. This poem goes out to Mike. Why couldn't your dad be a musician like Jimmy Leon's dad or own an oil company like Kobe's? Better yet, why couldn't you be a cool detective driving a sleek silver convertible sports car like Will Smith in Bad Boys? Instead, your dad's a linguistics professor with chronic verbal mania, as evidenced by the fact that he actually wrote a dictionary called Weird and Wonderful Words with, get this, footnotes. <laughs> Folks, you just heard a passage from Kwame Alexander's newest book, Booked, and he's accompanied today by Randy Preston. I'm Cheryl Kennedy at the Library of Congress. Kwame Alexander will be one of many renowned authors who will be appearing at the Library of Congress National Book Festival on Saturday, September 24th. The festival, which is free and open to the public, will be held at the Walter E. Washington Convention Center in Washington, D.C. Hours will be from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Kwame Alexander is a poet, educator, and the New York Times best-selling author of 21 books and the winner of numerous awards, including the prestigious Newbery Award. Mr. Alexander and Mr. Preston, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Cheryl. Gosh, that was a hard act to follow. That was terrific. We're going to have to do that again before we close this interview. Oh, yeah. Randy and I love performing, you know, poetry and, and jazz and poetry and music. There, You know, poetry is, is a cousin of so many different forms of, of art. And so anytime we can sort of help bring the words off the page and onto the stage, we're game for it. So thanks for letting us do that, Cheryl. Well, why don't we first start with your book? The hero of your most recent novel, Inverse, is Nick Hall. Now, he's described as a star of the soccer team, cruising in school and getting ready to ask a girl out. But his life turns in, in a not-so-great way. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, he's 12 years old, and he's sort of at this point where he's trying to, you know, cross over, as it were, into this new life of young adulthood. And I remember that period of my life and and the people who were around me who sort of helped me navigate, you know, puberty and 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 crushes and, and bullies and and it was a tough period. And so I wanted to sort of write a book about that experience to hopefully, you know, give boys in particular, but kids in general, um, uh, a way of looking at that that coming of age period for us and to do it in a fun and engaging way, which I think poetry offers. Is it also a wonderful medium to get young children, especially young boys to read and appreciate the spoken word? Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, you know, because it's so concise, because it has rhythm, you know, because of the movement of the words and visually how they look on the page and, and the fact that there's not a whole lot of words on the page. You know, it's something that I think it engages, you know, readers and 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 new readers. And I think it it's it speaks to kids. It's I mean, it's how they communicate. I mean, when you think about it, it's how we all communicate. I mean, just look at Twitter. It's 140 characters. So we're all we're already about the short, meaningful you know, precise, uh, concise wording of, of our thoughts and feelings and ideas about the world and our place in it. So I think, yeah, kids get it. 
Now, as a poet, you've mastered the use of words to communicate, and Booked has been described as a book about the power of words. How so? Well, first of all, thank you for saying I've mastered. I don't, I don't know if I've mastered it, but I'm certainly having a good time trying to, <laughs> trying to master it. Um, yeah, Booked is, is a book about words. It's a book about how words and books are cool. It's a book about trying to bring smart back. It's a book about all the things we, we don't necessarily associate with boys. You know, we tend to think boys at that middle grade level are all about sports, are all about video games, all about sort of these, you know, superficial um, elements of competition and, and, uh, and sport. And, and I believe that that's certainly a part of it. But hey, Cheryl, I was that kid, and I hope nobody's listening to this particular part. If y'all listening, don't record this. I was that kid who used to play the radio and listen to oldies but goodies at age 12 because I was thinking about this girl at church. <laughs> and I'd start, like, I'd be in my bedroom falling asleep. I shouldn't be telling them all my business, Randy. <laughs> and I'd be tearing up. <laughs> I'd be crying a little bit. And I think I think boys are, we're, we're sort of, you know, we're more than, than a ball, you know? And I think we, we have heart and we have soul just like everybody else. But how do you bring that out? How do you, how do you give that a safe space, you know, to be able to explore that? And that's what I try to do with these books is really give my 12-year-old self that safe place to love, to laugh, to live, you know, in this wonderful and sometimes woeful world that we're in. And, and I think poetry is the best way to express and, and explore that. Woeful world. I mean, how many people come up with that just talking? Well, I mean, I'm brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> you actively reach out to readers, and you've apparently found the formula to reaching students and inspiring them to read and write. And, of course, you have written about and you have a writing workshop. What's your secret? And what would you advise average parents to do? You know, I really believe that through poetry, we can help young people sort of find their voice and raise their voice where necessary. When you think about all the things that are going on in this world right now and some of the tragedy, and one of the things we aren't talking about is how are the children dealing with it? We're also caught up in our own rhetoric and ideologies and, and pain, and it's all legitimate. There's a, it, it, certainly there's some stuff that's illegitimate, but most of it is of value. But what about the kids? I had this kid ask me a couple weeks ago, he was like, uh, Mr. Alexander, what can we do as children to sort of help things that are going on in the world? And I'm like, whoa. The fact that this child has to ask that question is really problematic. And so I believe that words and literature and books can give children a way to sort of cope and deal and still remain hopeful about what's possible in this world, you know, because we become a little cynical and, 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 and our sort of hope and faith gets tainted. But I think the kids are just, they're just full of, of, of the beauty that, that we can have in this world. And, so, and I think words can help them 
maintain that. It can be sort of the tools and the weapons that they use to combat all of this nonsense that's going on in the world. But we got to expose them to, to these words. And they, they got to be exposed, Cheryl, to all the words. It can't be, oh, we're going to give this book because it, it, has, um, it, it has a white character on it to a white kid. Or we're going to give this book because it has a black character to a black kid. Certainly there's value in books as identity. And us forming identity, uh, strong self-esteem, uh, meaningful understanding of who we are through books. But we also got to be able to form a meaningful understanding of who that person is over there and who this person is over here. And we don't get that by just reading about ourselves. We have to read about other people. And I can't tell you how many schools I go in where teachers are like, well, I was going to teach crossover, which is uh, the first novel in verse I wrote. But I don't have a lot of black kids this this year. I'm like, what does that have to do with it? You don't think that the non-black kids who are in your life, who are, who you're responsible for shaping their minds, have to learn about the world outside? That's very dangerous. And don't get me on a soapbox, Cheryl, because I just go <laughs> off. We need some more music. I think it's time for another poem. I'm Randy, ready. Randy, let's do another poem, because Cheryl's going to have me just going off on these people. <laughs> Please. Um, yeah. So. The beautiful game. You're pumped. The match is tied at the end of extra time. Players gather at center circle for the coin toss. You call tails and win. Real Madrid scores the first goal. Ours bounces off the left post. They make the next two in a row. We make three. They miss their final two. The score is 3-3. Your turn to rev the engine. Turn on the Jets and you win. Teammates lock arms for the final kick. The crowd roars, screams your name. Nick Hall, Nick Hall, Nick Hall. Like a Greyhound coursing game, you take off from 12 yards out. But right before the winning kick of your Barcelona debut, your teacher, Miss Hardwick, streaks across the field in her heels and purple polyester dress, yelling, Nicholas Hall, pay attention. So yeah, so that's that's one of the first poems in Booked and it's, it's sort of establishing that this, this boy loves soccer. He loves it so much he's daydreaming about it in class. Um, and so that's another thing I try to do is, is use sports as a framework to teach sort of these, uh, these life lessons, as it were. You're the founder of an international literacy project. Can you share a little bit about that and also maybe speak to the impact of lifelong literacy and why it's so important? Put it to you like this. The mind of an adult begins in the imagination of a child. On a very basic level, you want... Adults who are functional, who, who are empathetic, who connect, who believe that the world is full of human beings and not that the world is full of people who are different and those differences matter because um, maybe I'm better than you or maybe you're not as good as me. You want people who, who, who become more human? When they become adults, then you have to begin to shape and mold them when they are children. And how do you do that? I believe one way you can surely do that is through the literature. 
So that's why I believe literacy is so important, because we want to create a better world. I had the opportunity to go to Ghana about four years ago with Juanita Britton, who is a businesswoman here in Washington, D.C., and was one of my mentors out of college. And she is the queen mother of a village in Ghana. And she took me to the village, and I was so moved by the ambition and the hope and joy in these kids, these 200 kids' uh, lives that were in this village in the eastern region of Ghana. And I was so saddened by the fact that there was only one book in their school, 11 classrooms, one book, that I wanted to do something. I felt like uh, I got to, you know, I, I want to write. I want to write books that are authentic. You know, I think writing is activism, and you got to live an authentic life. And so I was like, I'm going to start a nonprofit to bring books, to build a library. So we're sort of at the point now where this organization, Leap for Ghana, is, is very close. We're, we're within a year of, building, of fin- finishing the library that we're building. Um, we're going to build a basketball court. And so it was, a, it was sort of a five-year plan, and I think we're, we're, we're very close to finishing that. Um, in the past four years, we've trained teachers to teach literacy. We've uh, held uh, summer literacy camps for the kids in the village, uh, one-week camps. Uh, we provided 5,000 books. And all of this is done with the help of quite a few uh, individual supporters and organizations and, uh, and some really amazing people like David Miller and Tracy Childs McGee and, and Kenny Braswell and Renee Flagler and people who believe in this mission. So, yeah, I, I tend to believe that Ghana is right in my backyard, you know. So I sort of I try to think locally. It's not a whole lot that I don't think is possible, Cheryl, as you can tell. I mean, it's all I'm all about saying yes. Well, I just have a couple of more questions. One is, you appeared at the National Book Festival last year. You were a great hit. Can you tell me why you think that it's important for the nation's library to sponsor a National Book Festival? Yeah, it was my last, my first year last year. It was a great time. It was a, it was a lot of people. It was a lot of energy, and the room was like made up of, you know, just all different kinds of people, and and it really reflected the kind of world we we live in. And I think that's why the National Book Festival is so important. You really need to have, uh, from the top down, a commitment to strengthening families through reading. And it needs to be all families. And so, you know, you need to have all kinds of authors that represent our nation. And so what a great symbol and a signal that literacy is, is so important than coming from the top down, from, you know, from our president, from our first lady, from this, this amazing uh, historic institution, the Library of Congress. So, yeah, I mean, what better way to promote reading and writing and speaking, listening, and through this, um, this, this dynamic event that I'm happy to be a part of for the second year in a row. So I'm grateful for the invitation. Well, it's been such a wonderful opportunity to talk with you, and I hate this interview to end. I will um, end it by just saying the library sponsors a summer writing contest, a book that shaped me. Is there a particular book that most influenced you as a young reader? A particular book that influenced me as a young reader. Yeah, it's probably the book The Greatest by Muhammad Ali, and it was his autobiography. 
and it really showed me how you can be like just talented and self-assured and confident almost arrogant and brash and poetic and cool and handsome <laughs> and all these wonderful things and be black and be proud. And I read that when I was 11 or 12. And of course I knew those things because those are the things my parents instilled in me. But to see it in this sort of larger than life figure, I think really gave me the it gave me the modus operandi in my life to be the greatest. Well, that's a good way to end the interview. And obviously, if you and Randy want to end it a different way, I'll be happy for that, too. We will see you all at the National Book Festival, and we got some stuff planned for y'all. Get ready, because we're going to talk about the crossover. We're going to talk about books, and we're going to talk about this awesome picture book that we wrote, that I wrote. Randy, give him some something beachy. The title of the book, are y'all ready? You listening? It's called Surf's Up. Surf's Up. I wrote a book about two frogs. They're on vacation, headed to the beach. Bro's ready to surf. What's up? What's it going, surf, man? But dude's reading a book. Bro's getting upset. Come on, dude, let's go. Dude's not even looking. <laughs> but y'all gotta come out to the National Book Festival and we'll have the song together. Surf's up! Thank you, Cheryl, for having us. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. We've been listening to author Kwame Alexander and his accompanist, Randy Preston, who will appear in the Teens Pavilion at the National Book Festival on Saturday, September 24th at the Washington Convention Center. For more details, visit www.loc.gov bookfest. Mr. Alexander and Mr. Preston, thank you so much for an enlightening time. Great. You're very welcome. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.